Hello everyone, this is Tim Dodd. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Faithful to give witness to tens of thousands, yes, and to the millions that believe it. And believes in I believe that God's gloriously lived a packet until all around the world it's been circulated. Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. We're back in Canada. Back in the studio here at Clover the Bible Way, and Brother Tim Dodd is in the room with us, back from his trip from Ethiopia and Germany. He's looking good, a little bit tired, but we're going to be hearing some wonderful news and reports about what the Lord was doing in the, over the past few weeks. So without further ado, let me introduce the man who doesn't need any introduction now, Brother Tim. How are you feeling? Thanks, Brother Jean. It's good to be home. It's always good to be home. And... Uh feel uh let's not talk about feelings it's a little too early <laughs> i've only been home a couple of days and uh the jet lag the lack of sleep overseas all of those things always combine to give you a few rough days and you want to accomplish so much but you just don't have the energy to do it but we're here and we're thankful for journeying mercies and thankful for what the lord did overseas wonderful so you started in Ethiopia before you went to Germany. How long were you in Ethiopia? I was in Ethiopia for two weeks. The object was to um, be there two weekends, one weekend of meetings in Addis Ababa, one weekend of meetings in Hawassa. We arrived on the Friday before the first set of meetings was maybe pushing it a little bit because the first service was Friday night. And so it was... Uh, <laughs> A little bit tight, but the Lord was gracious to us. We hit the ground running, and the Lord gave us wonderful meetings. Now to our listeners, we've covered in detail some of the meetings that took place in Nawasa and in Addis Ababa in the previous two podcasts. For reference, if you wanted to go and listen to some of those details, you can do that. And we'll probably touch base on some of the things we already covered again for those who didn't listen to those sessions. So let's start with Addis Ababa. How many meetings did you take there? There was four meetings altogether on the weekend. I took a midweek service also, but there was four meetings. Uh, my son Andrew took one, and uh, I took three of them. And so we had great meetings there. Okay, and in Awasa? Awasa was just three meetings. Three meetings. I took two, and Andrew took one. Okay, and uh, how are those two towns like? related in terms of geography? Are they as far as the east from the west? Or are they pretty close? In proximity? They're relatively close. Um, probably if you drove, we drove last year when we went, but this year we didn't drive. Brother Mogus was a little bit concerned because of bandits had been on the road. Okay. And if you're on the road at the wrong time, you were subject to potentially robbery. So we actually flew from Addis Ababa to Hawassa, which is just a very short 45-minute flight. But it's probably about a four, four-and-a-half-hour drive. By road, the roads are decent, and uh, Addis Ababa is the capital city in kind of the center of the country, very uh, mild climate, and as you move into some of the southern regions, it gets very warm, mm. and Hawassa is about four and a half hours south of Addis Ababa. Uh, some people might call it a resort town. It's a very religious town, a very spiritual town for various reasons, and uh, uh, but it's a nice place to visit. Wonderful. Now, in the previous podcast, we heard Brother Mogas talk about just the attendance to these meetings. What was your impression, like when you came to the meeting and you saw 
how many people showed up to the meetings. And as we heard in the previous episode, there was an overflow because the building couldn't contain the, num- the number of people that showed up. Was this something that you expected? What was your initial feelings when that took place? I, I wasn't expecting quite the numbers that turned out. And yet I was expecting more of people that were witness to but hadn't yet embraced the message. So largely the vast majority of the people were people that had already embraced the message of the hour. Okay. And so that was wonderful. That, that, that just increased the atmosphere of the meetings. And uh, the, the overflow, it was, it was just a, a nice atmosphere, just the whole weekend. Everything was done wonderfully. And, and for the church there to not only mature or grow in numbers, but also mature in the way that they worshiped, the way they organized the meetings, the way they conducted the meetings, all of that uh, was really good to see. Wow. And the church that organized the meetings, the church in Addis Ababa where Brother Morgus is the pastor, how long have they been as an established message church now? Well, the beginnings of the church was in Addis Ababa, so that'd be nine years ago. Nine years ago. and But that isn't the beginning of the group per se. You know, the beginning meetings were maybe in a home. Brother Basabosi right. reached out into the country. We say nine years, but initially there was a few people and Brother Busabozi didn't live in the country. So he would travel back and forth and keep in touch with the people. Right. And then in, uh, I think it was 2015, so 2013 it started. 2015, uh, we sponsored him to move there and he spent three years in Ethiopia starting the church, grounding the people, pastoring the people, reaching out into the outlying areas and then after three years, he had to leave the country because the government put in regulations that if you weren't a uh, ordained minister or a, a, uh, a minister with a degree from an accepted institution right. uh, and sponsored by a denomination that you could not be in the country as a minister. Hmm. And so that compelled him to leave. However, by then, Brother Mogus had been in the message for five years. He had been preaching. The people had some confidence in him. And it was then that he became established as the pastor. So to say, how long has the group been together? Brother Mogus has only been the pastor there for about four years. Uh, the group itself, as far as meeting as a group, maybe seven years. Okay. But the whole work is about nine years old. Wow. And Brother Mogus say that in, in those meetings, as you just reiterated, there was people not only that were message believers, but maybe family, friends, and they came from all over the country, actually. Some people travel many, many kilometers just to attend those meetings, right? That really um, thrilled me to see how far the message and, and how many different directions the mm-hmm. message has gone out. So you had on one level the local people and their families. There was one brother whose wife had never been in meetings, and she came to every service. In both in Addis Ababa and Hawassa. Wow. And, uh, you know, she was just enthralled by the word of God. The Lord really got a hold of her, and we're really happy for him and other family members. There were believers from outlying areas that had never been gathered with the believers. There were some believers that had scattered, and the people can read some of the detail in the Believer's Faith Challenge Report 
which we just sent to the printer today. Okay. And uh, so that that will be coming out very shortly. And so uh, there are there were be believers that had been introduced to the message by people from other countries. There was a brother from Zimbabwe. There's a brother from Kenya. And uh, they had been scattered in so much that uh, when COVID hit, they felt abandoned. Uh -huh. And that, you know, just breaks your heart. And, right. and but then Brother Mogus uh, reached out to them. He, he, he found their, he was given their contacts from these brothers and he reached out to them. And some of them were gathered into the meeting. And so just to see them embrace the message, there there is growth. I could go on and on here. There was growth in some of the brothers. There's one particular brother. I'll say his name is Brother Tesfa. He's one of the brothers that we ordained. And he was a minister originally in denomination before he came into the message. Uh, you know, I've known him for quite a number of years since before COVID and always watched his, um, how can I say, his inquisitiveness about the message and uh. his, his uh, I won't say uncertainty, but just uh, maybe not fully grounded in the word. But in these meetings, he was on fire. Wow. He was on fire. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I was just thrilled to see the glow of the gospel on his face. Wonderful. And obviously God had really done something for him. That's just so perfect that you'll say that because that leads us from my next question, which I was going to ask you. Having ministered in Ethiopia many times now, over many years, if you were to compare the reception, the atmosphere, how they received the word the first time you went there, to this past few weeks, what's, what's your impression? What really changed? What really sticks out to you? I think it began actually last year when we went and the people were so receptive to the word of God. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that people need to know, and, and we discussed this with Brother Mogus and some of the ministers there, is that we don't go in preaching message politics. Right. Okay, and I'll just use that term. We're not going there to warn people against this idea or that idea. Right. We're there to preach the pure word of God in the fullness of the revelation of the last days. And because I believe that that is what will quicken the people. Mm -hmm. That is what will make them hungry for the message. That is what will make them fall in love with the, the bridegroom because we are the bride and the bride loves the bridegroom. Yes, sir. The bride's not preoccupied with this going on or that going on, this direction, that direction. And that's what the, the brothers there said. You know, they've had some experiences around um, the message of the hour. And they, they've told me, Brother Tim, we just love it when you come here because you just preach the word. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we love to do. Yes, sir. Because that's what quickens the people. So, so what I see in them is a growth in love for the word. They really desire the word of God. And when a people desires the word of God, as a preacher, you can't help but preach. <laughs> you know, they're just pulling on the word. So it's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> That's great to hear. Um, when you hear the testimonies, and I'll refer, for example, to the testimony of Brother Joseph, which we released in the previous podcast, when I hear the testimonies of how people are coming to the message in the country of Ethiopia, 
at least to me, there always seems to be a supernatural element. And uh, I think, is this something that's ingrained within the culture of the people itself? There are spiritual people. They're not, um, they're not foreign to spiritual or strange to spiritual experiences. It's a little bit of a different landscape than, say, Uganda, where when we hear testimonies from Uganda, not saying that they're not supernatural, but it's in, in Uganda, it's more the truth of the word that people are seeing clearly, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and all those things. Where in Ethiopia, though there is the truth of the word, but there seems to be some experiences that grasp people's attention. Brother Joseph, for example, the dream that he had, sleeping in a dark place and then remember the scripture says, wake up from your sleep. And he said, no, I'm in a dark place. You're sleeping with my congregation. I need to wake up and accept the message. And we've had so many testimonies over the past years. We've heard you report on that. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I think there's several aspects of it. First of all, I'll say there are many supernatural testimonies coming out of Uganda. And maybe our problem is we get caught up in the numbers and the <laughs> overwhelming uh, volume of what's going on there and the individual stories of the supernatural kind of get lost in the overall picture. But back to Ethiopia, there's a couple of, uh, to me, contributing factors. Number one, people have to realize Ethiopia received the gospel before Europe received the gospel. Mm. You know, keep that in mind. Right. You know, out of the book of Acts, you've got the eunuch accepting the gospel and going down into Ethiopia with the gospel before it hardly had gone anywhere. So Ethiopia was one of the very first places to receive the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that contributed to the uh, overall atmosphere of the country being very uh, gospel, Christian-oriented. Although, as you'll hear in an upcoming comments, that I, as I talk with my son Andrew on the balcony of the hotel, we recorded that, and... And it's also a contributing factor or a very uh, illuminating fact how the gospel can become dead in a letter hmm. and a form right. rather than moving on with the light of your age. So now, and I was just thinking about this, now the light that came to this country first, now the end time light is coming to here near the very end. That's incredible. So the first thought. shall be last. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it almost, uh, you almost see that parallel there because they're one of the last countries to fully embrace it. Okay, that's number one. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is that, yes, they are spiritual people and they do believe in dreams and visions and those, and they're taught that. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I mentioned last year, there was a man that saw a vision of, of this stranger, very tall stranger talking to him. And then he saw me and God just... Um, opened his eyes that there was a message for this hour. So they see that. But I, I firmly believe that this signs and wonders follow the word of God. Yes, sir. And so whether it be, and there's many testimonies, uh, it was before we even started the podcast that there was a brother that we call Brother Lazarus. That uh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that he was left for dead. It was, they were just, had given him up for dead. He was dying with tuberculosis and God raised him up supernaturally. And the whole village then paid attention to the, um, the message. Then the believers that had prayed for this, their brother. And they, it was the village that named him mm -hmm. Brother Lazarus. It wasn't us. And so they, they received him as one from the dead. He was in the meetings, by the way. 
and his Wonderful. daughter and and uh, some that had received the message out of that great supernatural testimony. So the word goes forth, the signs follow the word. And when God goes into a new area, he always confirms his word with signs following. Mm-hmm. You know, the message is the word that is supernatural. This message is not just a doctrinal philosophy. Mm-hmm. This message is the supernatural revelation of Jesus Christ. And God goes behind it and anchors his word in the people's heart and confirms that it's him. Yes, sir. And uh, he is a supernatural God. Yeah. I, I remember when I was listening to Brother Joseph and um, he said that he was reading the Bible and just noticing that the church didn't have what the book of Acts church had. And he wanted to see more of the, the living realities of the word, not just doctrine, but he wanted to see something that was alive. And that's when he began to look into healing movement and stumble upon that book and, and discover the name William Branham, as we heard in the past two episodes. And, but that just goes to show the spiritual aspect. The people in Ethiopia, they, they long to see the move of God. They long to see something real and not just religion. And that seems to be the fabric of the makeup of, of the country itself. Right? I think so. I think so. I think that's a valid observation. And I told Brother Joseph, I said, uh, you know, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I, I said to him, you know, that was my testimony in the early 80s mm-hmm. when I was in the Pentecostal church myself. I said, I... I believe the Bible, but where is the life that right. they had in the book of Acts? Where is that life? And that's when the Lord brought me to the message of the hour. Right. Now, let's move on to you. I want to ask you a different question, maybe one that nobody's asked you before. Mm-hmm. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in my, some of the assumptions I'm going to make to ask this question. But if we were to compare, say, Uganda and Ethiopia, not in terms of countries, but in terms of of the background, the religious background of both countries. Um, do you think that Ethiopia having less of a Catholic influence uh, maybe is a factor in how the message is is growing and being spread there as opposed to Uganda where there's a lot of denominational as much as the Trinity and the Catholic uh, influence throughout the country? Does it... I guess what I'm trying to ask is, does a Catholic influence in the country affects how the message is being spread? I, I don't necessarily think that's a valid observation just because while you don't have Catholicism in Ethiopia, you have the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Right. And that's very similar to Catholicism. Okay. okay but what we're seeing in Ethiopia, what we're seeing God do in Ethiopia is very similar to what we saw God do in Uganda in the 80s. See, in the 80s, Uganda came out of war, and Idi Amin had been defeated, and the country began to open up, and men like Brother Harold Hildebrandt went in and began to sow the the message of the hour of the gospel of Jesus Christ for this day into the country. And what they were then, and I know this from conversations with Brother Stephen Abali, what they were then in the early 80s is what Ethiopia is now. Interesting. And so we're seeing the same type of experience, God dealing supernaturally, small groups springing up, ministers coming to the forefront, young men that are taking a hold of the gospel and taking it to their own people. So that's what we're seeing. Very much the same as when the message first came into not only Uganda, but some of these other African countries. Ethiopia is just a generation late. That's all. Yeah. (laughs) I guess we can say that Uganda is having the 
harvest rain right now and yeah. <laughs> and Hyofe is having the sowing rain, <laughs> the that teaching would, rain. That would be a good analogy, <laughs> but they're supposed to come in the same season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good observation. That's interesting because I always felt that somehow when a country or even talk about individuals, when an individual has a strong Catholic influence, it, usually the Lord takes a different approach in how he deals with people of that background. And I just thought maybe in your experience, you've found that it's been quite different how God is moving in Uganda versus how he's moving in Ethiopia. And obviously it's different. There are different people, different country, different languages. Well, I think it is different in that what God's doing in Uganda now is uh, they're using uh, the people's disdain for the Catholic Church. There you go. Okay. As an open door to sow the truth of the message. Mm -hmm. And they basically tell them, look, if you're baptized in the Trinity, you're baptized in a Catholic baptism. Right. And that grabs the people, it's people's attention right now. The Protestants, you know, they're just like, well, we don't want to be baptized in a right. Catholic <laughs> baptism. And so, uh, so that opens the door for the truth. And that's only the beginning of the truth. Okay. Uh, but uh, what's happening in Ethiopia is more like a a gorilla, uh, if I can say it that way. I don't want to use the wrong terms. This is not political and this is not <laughs> man-made, but, you know, it's almost like a, a grassroots, I guess I may maybe say it that way. Smaller groups. Yeah, and individuals getting it, like you mentioned, Brother Joseph. Yeah. God gets a hold of a man, and then in that area, he just begins to move in a very, very quick way. And quickly a, a group of people are gathered and their attention is drawn to what God has revealed in our day. Amen. And and that's a very good point that you mentioned there about how a local man, like a minister, will, will receive the message of the hour and then through him it will start spreading in a specific area or region. And we found that to be a very effective model, at least here at Bible Believers, we believe into putting the message in the hands of the people in the languages. We've heard Brother Mogus talk in the previous episode about the church's book, mm -hmm. having that printed in the local languages with the tracks. Do you, right. do you have some comments on that? The, the Amharic language is the national language, but it's not the largest used language. Uh, but we put the, we were able to get the church age book translated into their language and then printing a thousand copies, which they're almost completely out of now. And that has enabled them to reach out and I guess the earlier comments we've talked about of it being a religious country, right. uh, a Christianized country. Uh, I think that that has enabled the church age book to have a greater impact than it might in other countries. Hmm. And so people seeing because, and again, we go back to the gospel came to Ethiopia before almost any other country. Right. So they can go back to the beginning of the first age and see the unfolding right. of the gospel through seven church ages yeah. now and see themselves in the picture because they were here all along. Right. And they viewed themselves in that light. So so the church age book has a tremendous impact. And then, of course, the tracks, the brothers were telling me, tracks on the Godhead and on Serpent Seed and all of that that we extrapolate from the church age book that we uh, uh, or extract, not extrapolate, <laughs> we extract from the church age book that that has also enabled them to reach out in specific ways to specific groups of people. That's, that's very interesting. I never thought of it that way for them having received the gospel first and then seeing what their early church was like. 
because that's when they received the gospel with with the apostles. Mm-hmm. That, that that makes a lot of sense. That's a good observation. I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. That the impact of the church age book would have uh, in a country like that. The church age book is the only book that I know of that is a relevant and true history mm-hmm. of the church down through the ages. Right. There's a lot of books of Christian history that are written, but a lot of them are not relevant. They get stuck or caught up in the minutiae of the the tiny little offshoots and whatever more. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you could talk about Luther's age and talk about, you know, Zwingli and Calvin and, yep. and different uh, ideas that give groups like Mennonites and Hutterites and things that came out of that and get caught up in all these offshoots. But it's the church age book that zeroes in on the revelation of the hour and what it means and especially the message to the age so that, you know, unto the angel of the church of Sardis, write These right. things, yeah. you know, and then brother Branham by revelation brings that all out so that we have really what God was doing in the age. It's much, I'm, I'm getting, I'm rambling a little bit here, but it's much like the history of the world. Right. There's a lot of history. You could talk about the history of Babylon, but what's important about the history of Babylon is in the book of Daniel. Right, the relevance point. Exactly, yep. exactly. So, so yeah, the church age book is irreplaceable for a book that will show people what God has really done through the ages. Wonderful. Well, a word for those that are listening then, we need to get more church age book printed in the local languages in Ethiopia. I know we did in the largest, not the largest language, you say one of the main languages is the Amharic language. What other languages do we need to get this translated into? Well, it is translated into Grinya and it is, we're just finishing the Afanaromo translation, which is the largest language. Okay. And that's the most important, not most important, but that's the important one right now. Right. So we're, we're going to need to print probably 2,000 copies of each, the Amharic again and the Afanaromo now. And 2,000 in Afanaromo might be too small. If we have any sort of vision, we might want to print 5,000 copies. And the cost to print is about $2 a copy. Okay. So we're, we're looking at ten dollars to $20,000 to print and get it into the country and, and all of those things so that the people can have the church age book on top of printing the individual messages for that country. So, and that's the largest language or the most spoken language in the country. Yes. So that will reach the most people. That's correct. Okay. So 5,000 copies, about $2 per copy is what we need mm-hmm. for those that are listening. We appreciate the support. Let's get the message into the hands of the people. Let's print more church-age book. Uh, I believe it's going to have a tremendous impact. As we heard Brother Morgus talk about this, all the tracks, all the message books, and all the open doors just this year because they now have materials. Exactly. Exactly. And we need to, one of the things we, we do and we need to continue doing is to help the brothers reach out into the outlying areas to these open doors. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just simply consists of um, paying for their gasoline, you know, to get to the country, paying for their bus ticket, you right. know, get, helping them to reach these people. We don't, um, we're not great, um, how can I put it? I'll put it this way. We don't believe our function is to support ministry. That is to say, if God calls a minister, God will provide for him from his local area. Right. But we do believe in doing mission work. Right. And so if we can help a minister 
reach out into an area that he can't reach without some financial help, we want to do that mm -hmm. and help him to um, answer an opening that has come open in an area. Mm -hmm. Now, on the last segment here, um, I wanted to touch base on a comment you made in uh, one of the past podcasts regarding Ethiopia. You say that the people of Ethiopia really don't trust strangers. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of confidence in their own people. And therefore, having the message being spread by the locals is having a greater impact than it would say if you and I went there for five months, right? Yeah, Better to have the Molgas and the, now the ministry that's been ordained now, local ministers that the Lord is raising up to actually do the mission and work within the country. Mm -hmm. How important is it to follow, I don't want to say model, it sounds like it's organized, but how important is it to actually get the message in the hands of the people themselves and then let them do the work within the country. Let me think of words that would describe that. How important is it? Let me put it this way. Okay. And this will be for more our Canadian and American listeners. If you had someone come to you, you'd never heard the message, but you have someone come to you from Nigeria. Yeah. I'll just, as an example, <laughs> I'm not trying to Could be slight the Nigerians, okay? <laughs> but uh, someone come from Nigeria who's telling you that God sent a prophet in these last days, mm. okay? How, how much impact would that have versus someone in America or Canada right. that came to you and said, listen, we, there, did you know that God sent a prophet mm -hmm. in these last days and... And uh, he has a message for this for the church in the last days. I think the answer is obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, you trust, not that you trust anybody, but you trust your local uh, person quicker than you would trust somebody that's a foreigner with a foreign way of saying things and right. a, a, a different concept. And the foreigner doesn't have the cultural knowledge. And that's important because... Mm -hmm. We don't know, you and I, if we went to Ethiopia, we wouldn't know what the issues of life are in Ethiopia right? and how to relate the message to them. Brother Brown says, when you witness to somebody, you talk about what they want to talk about. right? You don't talk about just what you want to talk about. You, you talk about if it's a farmer, you talk about farming. Right. If it's a car salesman, you talk about cars, you know, whatever it might be. And, and you try and introduce the message in that way and and I think that's crucial that a lot of people don't recognize. It's not about um, sending missionaries. We right. go to take established believers and ground them further in the word of God. We're not going there to evangelize. Right. As I've emphasized to, emphasized to the brothers there or Uganda or other places, is that you brothers are doing the evangelism. You're reaching out into the communities, open doors, on the streets, everywhere, and you're reaching the people. Because we are, and in particular myself, more elder, you could say, in the message and have a certain type of ministry that some people say lends itself to teaching, um, then that helps them in a different aspect mm -hmm. than just evangelism. Right. And so the brothers there are doing a great job at re telling people they need to be go back to the original formula of repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. They believe in the Holy Ghost. And one thing I'll say, let me add it here. You know, a lot of people that come in are often religious. 
okay, and this is the same Uganda, Ethiopia, wherever it might be in Africa, a lot of them are from Christian backgrounds, okay? They've had altar calls. Okay. They've had prayer lines. Yep. They've had manifestations of Some the supernatural, yep. They've, they've, uh, they've wept, they've cried, they've had all of these things. They're looking for the truth, mm. you see? Yep. They're not looking for another altar call. Yep. They're not looking for another prayer line, as you might say. And, and all of those things are legitimate. But my point is that they, they've already had that. And that's not yeah. what they're looking for. They're right. looking for the truth of the revelation of the word of God. Mm -hmm. And that's what's quickening them. Amen. Yes, sir. Now, on that note, then, uh, let me ask you this. You might not have the exact numbers, but just give me uh, what your best guess is. How many message books do the believers have access to through the message app in, in Ethiopia? There's about 170 in Amharic okay. and about just over 50 in Afanaromo. And I think we only have the church age book in Tigrinya. Okay. okay. We don't have Tigrinya translators currently working on translation. The translation work is going on in Amharic and Afanaromo. Okay. So we need to pray for the Lord to raise up some translators there. <laughs> Yeah, translators, are, you know, they're getting by. Tigrinya is where translation needs to be done, but there aren't a lot of believers in that area. Mm -hmm. That's where the war has been. All right. Okay, so okay. the believers that we had contact with, we lost contact with because of the war. And the war now has, they seem to have come to a uh, some kind of truce. And the brothers will be able to reestablish contact with those that received the message and see how they're doing. But, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a difficult area to deal with. And, and all these translations, obviously, have taken place just in the past six, seven, yeah. eight years. Yeah. And now we have, I would say, about 1% of all the message books. Or is it 10%? 10%, 10 it's correct. 10% yeah. of all the message books. Mm -hmm. Still a lot of ground to cover, a lot of work to, to be done. And we just pray and trust that the Lord will provide for us to keep supporting these translators and into getting the message into their own hands. Obviously, it's being so impactful seeing that. You're correct when you say that there's been a lot of missionaries and we've seen them in many countries. They go and evangelize and live, evangelize and live. But what we're seeing in Ethiopia or like in Uganda is what Paul talks about. He says, you know, I'll come, find one believer, stay with him. Exactly. And from that one believer, there's 50. Exactly. Amen. That's exactly, Brother Branham actually talked about that with Paul. Yes. You know, he, you know, he, he referred to it as Billy Graham mentioned it. He says, you know, how that Billy Graham would go in and get 50,000 saved into a city and then come back later and he can't find 50. And that's the altar call you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then on the other hand, Paul would go into a city and get one person grounded in the word of God, Brother Branham said. Mm -hmm. And out of that one person would come 50. Amen. And so that's what definitely what we're seeing in Ethiopia. Amen. Well, there is Brother Joseph. There's the one that the Lord uh, is dealing with, has dealt with. He's seen a lot of the message and he has his own congregation. So out of him, who knows how many. There is, uh, we heard about the pastor that had 41 churches, something like that. Yeah, that's an open door now. <laughs> that's an open door now. Mm -hmm. And we trust that many fruits will come out of that as well. And obviously, we're still going to be receiving more testimonies of the after effect, if I can say that way, of the meetings. And we'll make sure that we cover those or share them either in uh, on the blog post on the website 
or in the next uh, faith challenge report, Amen. perhaps. And people need to know, understand, because in North America, the revival's over. Okay, so it's hard for people to grasp how the message spreads like this. Mm-hmm. People need to understand that different ones embrace it at their own speed as God reveals it to them. It's just like in any individual, as much as you give yourself to the Lord is how much the Lord will reveal to you. Mm-hmm. So you might find one person or a pastor or a group of churches somewhere that embrace the message on a very superficial level, and they might teach it that way, and they might they might not really come to, as we would say, a full surrender to the revelation of the Word of God for our day. That's not up to us. Mm-hmm. That's up to God. You know, God's the one that that brings people in as far as he can bring them. On the other hand, you'll find one person like a brother Mogus who just dives into the word. And he's, he tells me he feeds on four or five messages a week. Wow. You talk about getting grounded in the word of God. You know, you can see that God anoints a man to be uh, used of God to teach his people and to ground them in the word of God. And so uh, Brother Mogus has always been very close to me, and we appreciate that and try to steer him always in the right direction, but it's his individual walk with God. So my point is that, you know, there might be a testimony of somebody that embraces the message but is very superficial, and there might be somebody that embraces the message and and quickly becomes very deep and Mm -hmm. very grounded in the Word of Mm -hmm. God. We love them all. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're all important to yeah. us. And whatever we can do to help anybody, we want to do that. Yeah. And Brother Mogas, if you're listening, I was really blessed in the last podcast just hearing how excited he was. And you, you couldn't even contain him. You couldn't get him to stop. No, exactly. <laughs> He's so thrilled and he wants to see the Lord continue to move in his country and the burden for his own people. Back Amen. to what we we're talking about again. Do I have a burden for the people in Ethiopia? I sure do. And we want to support through prayers, through offerings. And, mm-hmm. But for a local pastor to have his own burden for his people in the, in his country, that to me is much more effective and yields greater results and fruits as we can all testify of now. Amen. You know, uh, not to preempt, I'm, I might go into this subject on Sunday when I give the, the report in the church, but I'll ask you a question, Brother John. You have a child? Yep. You love your child? I do. Do you love your child more than you love other people's children? Yes. I think that's an honest answer. <laughs> and I think we could all say that, that that we definitely love our own children, at least we seem to, more than other people's children. So now let me ask you part two of the question. Mm-hmm. Does God love your children more than somebody else's children? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Because it's a different type of love. Uh, that's good. <laughs> and the Ethiopian, you know, whether it be Canadians, Ethiopians, Americans, doesn't matter. We love our own people. That's that's brotherly love. True. That's And Paul says, let brotherly love continue. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> but there's a higher level of love. Uh-huh. And we want to love the needy. And it's not naturally needy, but the spiritually needy uh-huh. in Ethiopia as much as we love the spiritually needy in Canada Amen. or United States, that's God's love. Amen. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, we've come to an end now of this episode that was not scripted, not planned, but we got a lot out of it. Do you have any final comment about how you feel about the trip, how it went? Uh, I did want to touch on something on character, which is the ability to make the right decision. I know that was a blessing to the people in Ethiopia. Um, 
probably one of the highlights in many places where you've preached in the past past few months now, the subject of character. But did you have any any closing comments, Brazim? Um, you know, just that I was amazed at the exponential growth spiritually and in numbers of what's happening in Ethiopia. If the same happens going forward, I'm looking with huge anticipation to go back next year and see what God has done. Mm -hmm. And to the people that are listening and those of you that have supported the work in Ethiopia, much more needs to be done. But I will say every penny that anybody has ever given, every prayer that was made, I can say they have been answered abundantly. And God has poured out his blessings and is pouring out his blessings. The potentials of what is laying there right now is beyond my ability to describe in a podcast. I can just say we could be. I don't know what the Lord has in mind. I'm not infinite like he is. I'm not omniscient like <laughs> he is. I just trust him so much. And that is that the possibilities, the potentials that are there are beyond description. It could explode into more than anybody can handle, but I will say the Holy Spirit knows how to operate it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's going to become explosive in a way that's not able to be handled because, because God just doesn't do that. And I've told the brothers there that there's needing to be ministry there that's able to teach and preach to those people. And that's what they're doing beyond what outside brothers can right. supply. Because if it's not in the country, it will fail. Right. And uh, so they're very conscious of that. And so pray for the brothers that are there, especially pray for the ministry. Uh, Ethiopia needs the five-fold ministry, as everybody does. Yes, sir. But Ethiopia, God is raising up a ministry there. Pray for them. The message books are important and a key factor, but without the fivefold ministry, this growth of the message in Ethiopia is going nowhere. And so pray for them, if you would, please, and whatever you feel led to support, I know that'll be a blessing there. Wonderful. Well, this concludes this episode of the podcast here. We just touched base on what the Lord has done in the country of Ethiopia. We're Brother Tim Dodd back here in Canada. Thank you for listening. And again, thank you so much for your support. What we're hearing here is a direct result of your giving, of your prayers, and we continue to count on it. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Remember, friends, the bridegroom will not come until the bride has made herself ready. She must be both called and fully dressed by the Word of God. This was another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge Report podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in more podcasts and more content as it pertains to mission, please go to our website at BibleWay.org. That's BibleWay.org. And subscribe to our newsletter. We will make sure that we send you updates on a weekly basis of the works that the Lord is doing all over the world. Additionally, you can send us an email at info at Bible-Believers.org. That's info at bible-believers.org. And once again, we'd like to thank you for your support. This podcast would not be a success without you. Until next time, may God bless you.